morning, everybody. Everybody good? Good to see you. Welcome. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Open your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. This is the third in a message series entitled Soul Among Lions. We've been walking through the book of Daniel together as a congregation. Daniel chapter 4. When you're going through the book of Daniel, one of the, the kind of puzzles or questions that uh, people continue to ask comes back to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Because um, if you're reading with us, uh, in every single chapter, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is uh, a prideful, hungry, power-hungry sort of man who throws Daniel to the lions or puts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace. Uh, he'll witness some sort of mighty display of God's power, and then he'll finish the chapter by declaring that there's no, no God like God, no God like the God of Daniel. He seems to learn every single chapter that, that God is a great God, but then by the time you get to the next chapter, he's forgotten. He, he's a person who continues to see and witness and seem to learn the same lesson over and over and over, but he never seems to get it at, at all. Is it possible that there's some people who just never learn? I mean, some people who never learn in, in anything at all, it really does seem that way in, in, in our lives. I guess I've been a man like that. I, I'm sure some of you know people like that. I don't know why it is that some of us never learn. Maybe two possibilities. First off, some of us are just oblivious. Just absolutely oblivious. It doesn't mean that we're not smart. It means that we're just always focused on something else, whether it's ourself or uh, hobbies or family or whatever. We're just focused on something else and never seem to focus on the, the things that would lead us to God. So maybe we're just oblivious, focused on something else. Or maybe number two, maybe we just don't pay attention. Maybe we never, ever give attention to our lives enough to learn anything or enough to connect the dots or see what God is doing. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, I'd say it's a little bit of both. I think he's very, very focused on himself. I think that he's also a person who never fully pays attention. But in Daniel chapter 4, God is going to get his full attention. He's going to learn a lesson he will never, ever forget. Daniel chapter 4 is where we will be this morning. Start with me in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How powerful are his wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. Okay, let's stop right there. This is different. This chapter is different from everything else we've read in Daniel up to this point. What makes this chapter different? Can you tell already? Who's talking? Nebuchadnezzar's talking, absolutely. King Nebuchadnezzar is the narrator here, and that's what makes this different. This is different all of a sudden. King Nebuchadnezzar is talking. He is telling his own story. That's really, really interesting. But what is probably not surprising is where does it start? What happens? He's in bed, and he's had a dream. Yeah, apparently King Nebuchadnezzar has never had a good night's sleep in his whole life. Because once more, he has had a bad dream. Now, in the verses that follow, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to talk about that dream. The dream involves a tree, a, a mighty tree that grows all the way to the heavens. And then the dream is cut down 
and a messenger from heaven delivers a message. King Nebuchadnezzar is frightened, confused, but by this point, one thing he has learned that there's one man who can always come through and tell you what your dream means, and that man is Daniel. Daniel. So let's pick up right there. Verse 19, Daniel explains the dream. I skipped the part where he tells about the dream because Daniel's going to tell you the dream as he interprets it. So pick up with me in verse 19. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to you, my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and, and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Stop right there. That, that, that's going to be a brutal lesson. Uh, back in Rich Pond Elementary School, uh, years and years ago, I was in probably seventh, eighth grade. Our science teacher's name was Mr. Boyd. Anybody uh, lived to tell stories about Mr. Boyd? Yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was a tough man. Um, one day we were in study hall in Mr. Boyd's class. A bunch of us were in there, and we got bored. And then I made the mistake of saying, Mr. Boyd, we're bored. So Mr. Boyd said, what do you mean, bored? Uh, why don't you look through microscopes? He's a science teacher. The microscopes were in his room. That actually sounded like fun. He suggested we look through microscopes. So I said, Mr. Boyd, we don't have anything to look at. We don't have anything to look at through the microscope. He said, Harris, why don't you look at blood? Blood? I said, Mr. Boyd, we don't have any blood either. He said, your body's full of blood. I said, well, uh, I'm not bleeding. So it's Mr. Boyd reached into his drawer and pulled out these razor, uh, uh, this would be zero tolerance in your school now, by the way, but, but in those days, Mr. Boyd had these razor lances that you could use to prick your finger and bleed like you want to, understand? So he gave us these razor blades and said, there you go, prick your finger and bleed, you know. Well, okay, I'm not bored anymore at, at all. 
So we just all sort of sit at our desk, and I take the razor blade and put my finger out, and I just kind of, you know, scratch on it and, you know, poke at it. But honestly, I don't want to see blood. I don't want to see blood coming out of my finger at this point. So we're just kind of pitiful doing that. Mr. Boyd's watching us. He gets more and more frustrated with us. So finally he says, Harris, get over here. So I, I, sort, of, I sort of walk up and said, you know, I'm not bleeding. and It's, it's okay. You know, I, I've got math. Mr. Boyd said, give me your finger. So he, he took my finger. He laid it flat on his desk. He got the razor, the lance, and he went, boom. I mean, just like that. My finger immediately turned purple, and it just started gushing blood. And the whole class lined up with slides, and I bled on everybody. I mean, I, I bled for days. I'm not kidding. I just bled and bled. My finger's like, boom. Just throbbing and just bleeding. It, it, it was horrible. It, it was a brutal lesson. Understand? A, a, a brutal lesson. And Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn a very brutal lesson. And make no mistake, this is all about his learning. There's something he must learn. Now, what is it that Nebuchadnezzar has got to learn? It, it, it's repeated over and over and over in this story. But look at verse 25. The end of verse 25, seven periods of time will pass while you live this way. We don't know what the periods of time, it could be seven days, probably not seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, we don't know. But it's seven periods of time. It's going to last until what? Until you learn. This will last until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. So not only is he told how long it lasts, he's told exactly what it is he's supposed to learn. And what he's supposed to learn is there is a king in control, and it is not you. There is a most high God who rules, and he gives the kingdoms of the world to whoever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar, you're nothing without him. Okay? So he finds out exactly what it is he's supposed to learn. He also finds out the lesson plan. Now, what's the lesson plan? How is it that King Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn who God is? He's going to be completely humiliated. He's going to be humbled. He is going to be crushed. What's going to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar? What's it say here? It's bizarre. It's brutal. Yeah, He is going to lose his mind. King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest, most proud man in all of the world, is going to become a, a, a stark, raving madman. He is going to roam the streets of the kingdom like a stray dog. He is going to live with the animals. He's going to tear grass with his teeth like a cow. You understand? He won't have enough sense to come in out of the rain. This is what the Bible promises. This is what God says. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to roam the streets like an animal, and you will do so until you learn that the Most High God rules all the kingdoms of the world, and he gives them to whomever he chooses. That is the lesson. That's pretty brutal, though. I mean, isn't it? When you think about it, to, to take the man, one of the most powerful men who, who has ever lived, and humiliate him like that. Why? Must it be done this way? Why is God so determined to crush this man? 
real simply, I want you to take a, a, a look at this verse here. It's James chapter 4, verse 6, and it's a verse you may have heard, but it says this. God, say the word, opposes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God opposes the proud. Oppose means almost to set up like an enemy. To oppose means I'm going to block your way. Nothing's going to happen for you until I get out of the way. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So two groups of people here, the proud and the humble. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Now, what is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved kindness. So God gives to the humble grace. He gives them favor. He gives them kindness. He gives them blessings they do not deserve. You with me? So if God gives undeserved grace to the humble, they don't deserve it. Why doesn't he just give this undeserved grace to the proud? I mean, they don't deserve it either, but nobody deserves it. It's grace. You with me? So why does God oppose the proud but give grace to the humble? Why doesn't he just give undeserved grace to the proud? A, a, a simple reason. Undeserved grace won't work with people who think they deserve it. Y'all out there? Undeserved grace will not work. It won't operate in the life of a person who thinks they deserve it. And, and, and that's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't understand grace. He wouldn't understand getting something he doesn't deserve because he's convinced that he deserves it all. A, a proud person is the person who really doesn't understand that they don't deserve any of it, especially God's grace. They take everything for granted. So God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, because the humble person is the only one who would understand that they don't deserve grace. You see? So this is a brutal lesson because you have a man who absolutely could not imagine that he doesn't deserve all the good things he's received. He'll never understand grace until he is humble. So, your majesty... What the Most High has declared will happen to you is that you'll be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. The lesson that Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn is a lesson about God's sovereignty. God is in control. We talked about this in the last few weeks. God is omnipotent. means he has all power. God has all power. God can do everything and anything and anything he pleases. You understand that, true? God is sovereign. And this is the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar must learn. And it is a lesson that all of us have to learn. But now, a few weeks ago, I asked you the question, we know that God is sovereign, that he has all power, but the question beyond that is, what does God do with his sovereignty? He can do anything he chooses. There's nothing impossible for God. So what does he do with all of that power? What's he trying to do? Now, this is a lesson about God's sovereignty. God is capable of doing anything he wants with Nebuchadnezzar, and his intention is to crush him. His intention is to teach him that God and God alone deserves worth and praise. His intention is to teach him that he's nothing apart from God. He's going to humiliate Nebuchadnezzar. 
And God has the power to do that. that, that, that there's no question about that. But, but, but notice, notice, seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kings of, of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. This is Daniel preaching now. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor, and then perhaps you'll continue to prosper. Okay, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. God has said what he intends to do, but actually there are two possible outcomes here. Do you see that? There are two possible outcomes, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to choose his future. The, the, the principle I taught you a few weeks ago, the sovereign God does not aim to control us by his might. Instead, he wants to save us by his love. So God's aim for Nebuchadnezzar is not ultimately just to crush him. God's aim is to save him. God's aim is to teach him. God's aim is to show himself to Nebuchadnezzar. So God states what he intends to do. This is what's going to happen. You are going to be crushed. You're going to live like an animal until you learn that the most high God rules. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, let me just give you a few words of advice. You could do this the easy way or you could do this the hard way. God has a lesson to teach you. Why don't you just learn it now? Why don't you learn it before any of this stuff happens? Why would you have to lose your mind? Why would you have to roam the kingdom like an animal? Why don't you just stop sinning now? Why don't you just listen and learn now? Do you see that? God is sovereign. God has said what he will do, but there are two possible outcomes here. And Nebuchadnezzar gets to choose. Nebuchadnezzar, by his freedom, is going to choose what happens next. Interesting thing is, a full year passes. Twelve months pass before anything changes. Why do you think twelve months go, go by before God does anything that he said he's going to do? Why twelve months? To give him time, to give Nebuchadnezzar time. God wants to see Nebuchadnezzar make the right choice. Nebuchadnezzar is slow. Let's pick up. Verse 28. All these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon by my own mighty power. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Notice King Nebuchadnezzar is having a worship service. He's worshiping. You see that? He's talking about mighty power. He's talking about majestic splendor and, and royal residence. Those are the kinds of words you'd use to talk about God. Who's he talking about? Yours truly, absolutely. He's talking about himself. He's having a worship service, except he's the one he's worshiping. Interesting. Now, now let me stop you right there. You need to know, if you don't know, that, that Nebuchadnezzar II was one of the greatest kings that's ever lived. You can make an argument that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon uh, probably was one of those who shaped civilization more than anyone prior and maybe anyone since. This was truly a great king. 
not just known from the Bible, he's known through archaeology. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar II is really no small figure in history. This is, this is a very, very important man. Ancient Babylon was a, a, an amazing kingdom. Uh, once you go Google the, the seven ancient wonders of the world, and you'll find that two of those were in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, this man was incredible. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world in his day was what's called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. You should Google that. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. If you're following this message on the YouVersion live event, I've included a picture, not a, like a photograph, uh, but an artist's journey of, of what these hanging gardens w- would have been. King Nebuchadnezzar had this wife. Her name was Queen Amidas. And Queen Amidas was from the hill country, the mountains, the, the, the valleys. Uh, Babylon is in what is now present-day Iraq, so it's dry, it's desert. And Queen Amidas said that she was really, really tired of the desert. She, she missed the mountains and the valleys and all the greenery from home. She wanted a green mountain. So King Nebuchadnezzar built her built her a mountain. It's called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. This is something like an, an eight-story building. It's really more like a, like a palace, but it's also a park. Uh, what it uh, amounts to is that he managed to build these giant, giant plant beds with enough dirt moved up eight stories to support grown trees. There were trees that were five stories tall when this garden was at its peak. Not only did he have the earth and the plants, the trees in this gigantic palace, he also created an irrigation system that would somehow get water eight stories up to water full-grown trees. To this day, we don't know exactly how he did it, but it's famously established that he did it. So understand, when he's walking on the flat roof of his palace, he could very well be walking on that flat roof of the hanging gardens of Babylon, looking at full-grown trees 80 feet off the ground that he's watering somehow miraculously. I'm telling you, he is a great king. He's a phenomenal king. And he says, look at this great city by my own mighty power. Really? I built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. Notice that? Like that. It happens that fast. It's like Donald Trump said, you're fired. It's over. You're done. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour the judgment was fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned. I praise and worship the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. 
He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, Why, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. There's a turning point. Everything that God said would happen, happens. It gives him a full year to make another choice. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't learn. Everything happens just as God had said. He, he, he roams the, the, the streets like a stray dog. He eats grass like a cow. He's one of those happy lunatics out waving at cars, understand? I mean, he's just gone. He's crazy. And he persisted in that state until what? Verse 34, until, until he looked up. Until he looked up. Now, that sounds easy, and, and truly it is easy. Why in the world would a man have to live like that for seven years or seven months or whatever period of time? Why would it take him so long to look up? Why would it take him so long simply to learn what God had been trying to say for years and years and years, that God alone rules and he gives the kingdoms of the earth to whoever he chooses. God is sovereign. God is in control. And you're nothing apart from him. Why did it take him so long to learn? His insanity lasted exactly long enough for him to learn. So my question to you is, how long is your insanity going to last? I mean, how long is your insanity? I'm not really saying you're crazy. Some of you are, but, but I'm not really saying it's all. I just mean, how long is it going to take for you to, to learn what God is trying to show you? As pastor people come to me pretty frequently and say, Pastor Tim, this happened to me, and this happened to me, and this happened to me. And I'm just wondering, is, is God trying to tell me something? Yes. Yes. If you've ever wondered, maybe God is trying to, to, to tell me something, the answer is yes. God is trying to tell you something. He's always been trying to tell you something. Since the first moment you drew breath into your lungs, God has been seeking you out. God has been trying to show you things. God's been trying to tell you something. I don't know why in the world here you sit all of these years later and you haven't learned it yet. You haven't listened to God yet. You haven't connected the dots of your life. You don't ever seem to learn. But make no mistake, God is trying to tell you something. He's always been trying to communicate with you. There are things he wants you to know. There's no maybe about it. God wants to tell you something. So the real question becomes, what's it going to take for him to get your full attention? What will it take for God to get your full attention? Nebuchadnezzar had to be absolutely knocked down before he would look up. Is this what it's going to take for you? We can do this the easy way. We can do this the hard way. Why is it that you always insist on learning every lesson the hard way? I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven all his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. If there's a lesson this man will never forget, that's it. God opposes the proud with an intention of humbling the proud, and God is able to humble 
the proud. I remind you, God isn't just trying to crush you because you're proud. God truly wants to bless your life. You don't deserve that. But the only way he can bless you is by his grace. And grace won't work on you when you think you deserve everything. That pride has to be broken. God is able to humble the proud. So like I said, we can do this the easy way, we can do it the hard way. There really is an easier way. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It says this, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. His intention is not to crush you. He wants to lift you up. But some of us have to be humbled first. We have to be crushed first. And this is the option. You can humble yourself. This lesson that God wants to teach you about humility, about about the breaking of your pride, you can just learn it today. You can acknowledge God today. You can humble yourself. You do not have to let God do the humbling. I promise you that's not what you want. It will be a brutal lesson for you. Why don't you humble yourself? This is what scripture begs you to do. It's what Daniel's begging Nebuchadnezzar to do before everything begins to unfold in his life. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, listen to me. Why don't you acknowledge your sin now? Why don't you break from your wicked past now? Why don't you learn this lesson now? Why would it have to come to all of this? Bottom line, I'm begging you, you, you've got to learn to humble yourself. Why would you want to do this the hard way? What does humbling ourselves entail? A few things. First off, you've got to stop pretending. You have to stop pretending. The ironic and amazing thing about Nebuchadnezzar's humbling is that for that seven periods of time, it just becomes possible for the whole world to see the the animal, the beast, that Nebuchadnezzar had always been. Understand that? God just allowed everybody to see Nebuchadnezzar outwardly the way he'd always been inwardly. He had always been a monster. He had always been a a, a brute beast. He had always been that, but, but he had this ability to look like something very different on the outside. To humble yourself means you, you got to stop the show. You got to stop pretending. That means you have to stop pretending that you have it all together because you don't. You have to stop pretending that you don't have any faults. You have to stop pretending that you don't have anything to learn. You got to stop pretending that you don't have any sins to confess and turn away from. You got to stop pretending that you don't need anybody. You got to stop pretending that you don't have anything that you need from God. You got to stop pretending that you've got it all under control. You got to stop pretending that you're perfect. You got to stop pretending that you're not addicted. You got to stop pretending that you're not a gossip or an adulterer or a liar. You've got to stop pretending that you don't need God. You have to stop pretending. This is where pride begins to die and humility begins to grow when you're ready to live honestly before people and before God. You've got to get real and you've got to tell the truth. And the truth begins with the simple fact that you're a sinner just like me and just like everybody else and we are nothing apart from God. We put a lot of energy into trying to pretend otherwise, but it's just the truth. 
It's probably why we're all so exhausted. It is exhausting to keep up the show, to keep up the pretending. It is so hard to try to act like you don't need anything or that you don't ever have a heart that breaks. It's very, very difficult to pretend all the time. I'm telling you, you can stop. Anytime you decide, you can stop. You can tell the truth. You don't have to keep any more secrets. You don't have to act like you don't need any help. You can stop pretending. And the moment you do is the moment you finally begin to learn that God is God and he is perfect and he is in control and you're not God. You stop pretending first. And then submit to correction. This is hard. You submit to correction. Submit. If I just had one word, submit, it would be hard for most of us. But, but to be corrected, that means I, I, I've got to be willing to be wrong. I, I've got to be willing to admit that I'm wrong. Honestly, some of us, we don't ever do this. Submit to correction. Notice when Daniel finally understands what the dream is and what he's got to say to the king. Verse 19 says that Daniel is over, overwhelmed for a time with fear. What's he afraid of? He's afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is not a man you can tell the truth. You can't tell King Nebuchadnezzar anything he doesn't want to hear. He has, I need to remind you, a fiery furnace he will throw you in without blinking an eye. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have anybody in his life who can stand up and tell him what he needs to hear. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. But listen to me, some of you are in the same boat. Nobody in the world wants to tell you what everybody knows you need to hear because you're going to blow up. You're going to fly to pieces. Everybody's already learned that you don't like to hear what you don't want to hear. So nobody's telling you anything and you're happy with that. But I'm telling you, the moment nobody tells you the truth anymore, you are condemned. You're condemned. And the moment when you can't ever hear that you're wrong, that means you can never get right. The moment nobody can ever point out your sin anymore, you'll never find forgiveness. This is not freedom, people. This is condemnation. If you cannot submit to correction, you can never learn anything. And if you can't learn, you're going to remain in your ignorance and in your sin. Submit to correction. It's just part of humility. I don't have it all together. My life is not altogether right. I need somebody to come and correct me. I need somebody to tell me the truth. And when they do, I need to submit and listen to the truth. I need to change the way I'm living. I need to change the way I'm thinking. I just need to submit to correction. It took Nebuchadnezzar seven years or whatever of living like an animal before he would finally look up. And submit to God. This is saying you can do this the hard way or the easy way. The easy way is just to submit to correction. Number three, y'all aren't. I haven't had an amen in like ten minutes. I, I know this is hard stuff. Seek everything good for everybody else. It's just the plain way to say it. Humility doesn't try to promote itself. Now, some of us, I mean, we're all about promoting ourselves. I mean, that's why that's why you got a Facebook page, right? I mean, for selfies, you know, to, to promote yourself. You want everybody to know, I'm eating tacos today, I'm eating, here's tacos, me and a taco. 
It's kind of about ourselves, is it not? We promote ourselves, and we like to seek everything good for ourselves because who doesn't want good things for themselves? I mean, you go to work, and you're thinking about how you can get promoted. I mean, you go to school, you're thinking about how you can get good grades. I mean, we seek everything good for ourselves. That's the way everybody in the world lives. That's why everybody in the world is a sinner. And that's why if we're going to live differently, if we're going to let Christ rule in our hearts, we've got to learn to be like Christ who gave up everything for the sake of everybody else, right? He said the Son of Man did not come to, 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 to be served, but to serve. Seek everything good for everybody else. That means that you run to the back of every single line. You don't put yourself first. You just go to the back of the line. Not because you're worthless and because you don't deserve any better. It's just because humility has this ability to take great pleasure when good things happen to other people. Y'all act like I'm speaking a foreign language. Humility is just as happy when good things happen to other people. That means if, if you get a promotion at work, I'll take just as much joy in your promotion as if it happened to me. I'm just as happy for you. If somebody wins the lottery, I can be so happy for them, I don't think, man, I wish that had been me. No, no, you seek everything good for everybody else. Jesus said, do you really want to save your life? The person who tries to save their life is going to lose it, but the person who loses their life for my sake will save it. It's I know it's all upside down, but this is the point. The mind of Christ isn't the mind of the world, and humility doesn't seek things for itself. You seek everything good for everybody else. Nebuchadnezzar looks out at this wonderful city of Babylon and says, it's all mine. This city is the city I made, and it is my royal residence. King Nebuchadnezzar, there are several hundred thousand people who live there and call that place home. How did it become yours? You understand? It's not about you. It's really about others. Humility learns that everything in life is about others. One more thing. If I were a really good preacher, these would all start with S. Stop, seek, give, give. Give honor to God. Nebuchadnezzar says, I, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. I, I praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. The king of Babylon, one of the greatest kings that ever lived, his last recorded words are these. I praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven who is able to humble the proud. You see that? It's, it's a worship service at the end of this thing too, but it's different. He's, he's changed his focus. He's no longer thinking about how great he is. Now he knows I'm nothing. God is everything. His insanity lasted until he learned. But some of us just don't learn very quickly, and we sure don't learn things the easy way. What you need to learn is, is how desperately you need God and how desperately you need God's grace in your life. And, and the thing about grace is you don't deserve it at all. So before grace can really begin to work in your life, you have to reach the point where you recognize that you don't deserve it. You don't deserve anything from God. You don't deserve his goodness. You don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve the blessings you have. None of this you deserve. And yet God is good anyway. 
That's grace. When you understand grace, then God can begin to pour out grace into your humble heart and, and lift you up. His plan's not to crush you. He doesn't just want to humiliate you. He wants to lift you up. But he can't lift you up until you understand who he is and who you are. God is able to humble the proud, Nebuchadnezzar said. I just wonder how long it's going to take some of us to learn. You can do this the hard way, or you can do this the easy way. Humble yourself. Pray with me. God, we confess that most of us in our pride learn everything the hard way. In our lives, Lord, some of us literally don't pray until we are flat of our backs and we know we need you. Lord, how much easier our lives would be if we simply woke up every morning knowing that we need you every day. How much simpler our lives would be, Lord, if we just simply recognize that we're nothing apart from you so that we would never stray away from you. God, you are truly able to humble the proud and truly, it is what so many of us need. Lord, I pray that you would teach us humility, true humility. So that, Lord, we can stop pretending that we're something that we're not. So that we could learn to surrender and submit to correction and, and, and once and for all turn from our sin. So that we could stop seeking good things for ourselves and just start giving it all away to the world. So that we could live lives that truly focus on the only one worthy of praise and honor, Lord, that's you. It's exhausting to try to seek praise for ourselves. It's exhausting looking for good things all the time because we assume we're entitled to them, Lord. It, it wears us out. Instead, Lord God, teach us humility that we would just simply receive grace as it comes from you, O oh God, our Father's hand. Lord, I, I pray that folks in this room, folks in the sound of my voice would would realize that you're trying to tell them something and that they would listen before it's too late. Before they have to go through a whole lot of mess. Lord, I pray that we would simply hear your voice today. Listen and learn. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand please? I want to give you a chance to listen for God's voice, and we'll do it this way. As we sing, you just listen. Listen for God. Listen to what he'll say to you. Say, Brother Tim, God never speaks to me. I'm telling you, just ask him a question, then be quiet and listen. He will speak to you. He'll tell you exactly what the next step for your life is, and when he tells you that, you do that. The reason many of us say we don't hear from God is that we have heard from God, but we don't like what we heard. When God speaks, he'll tell you the next step to take, and then you instantly obey him, and then you'll hear the next step, and this is what it means to walk with him. That you can't walk if you won't listen. I'm begging you to listen. The altar's open if you want to come forward to pray. I'm at the front to receive you if you've got a public decision to make. Whatever your need, God is speaking to you. Please listen as we sing.